I'm with Wayne. Wayne, somehow the midweek pod has turned into the crisis pod because we've had no actual football to talk about during midweeks and lots of crisis to talk about. Anyway, how are you? You enjoying the sunshine? It's warm in England at the moment, isn't it? It's warm, but Manchester didn't get the memo today. Don't get me wrong, we've got the warmth. It's the hottest day of the year, apparently, but there's been the Manchester clouds have been so resilient. They've been fighting against it bravely in their characteristic way. And I've got to say, fair play to the Manchester clouds because it, it rained this morning. It was a really bad rain, apparently. So this is general advice for anyone listening. If you've got the, if you're living in Manchester and you got the rain, and it's gone on your car, don't try and wash your car normally. Don't scrub it really hard because it's Saharan sand, and apparently it causes damage if you do that, so you've got to go and get it professionally cleaned. So a lot of professional cleaners in Manchester are going to enjoy the fact that it rained for for us. But, yeah, it's been warm, Ed. It's been warm, but it's not been sunny in in the, the way that everyone else has been enjoying it because Manchester... As Tony Wilson said, we do things differently here. And right. if it, even if we get the hottest day of the year, it's still going to be some kind of miserable. And I, I guess that's going to set the tone for <laughs> the rest of the podcast. Well, take, right? take an umbrella out. It'll uh, save you from getting burned on the top of your head or getting wet or some of that nasty Saharan sand that might itch a bit. So good advice yeah, on the yeah. car washing, though. You definitely don't want to scratch your paint up. So my, someone decided to smash the window in on my car. Just no reason. Why? Just broke the window. Did they take anything? Nope. Wasn't anything to take. Didn't look like they'd rifled through any of my drawers either. No euphemism. There. Which crisis (laughs) would you like to talk about first? We have got United United losing games. Uh, That's standard crisis. We've got player sulking, manager having a go at him, some kind of conspiracy about who said what and when about training, and I'm not quite sure what all of that is. We've got another wife beater, potentially, allegedly, and we've got a pedo in the museum. So there's quite a few crises there. I missed anything this week. Well, we'll go worst first, but I'll let you choose the order of that because I don't envy your your choices this week of conversation, but I know that I've got to join in with them, unfortunately. Yeah, it's, it's not been a good a good few days, has it? No, it hasn't. Just one normal day of Manchester United. Just a standard, just your standard crisis, please. Let's talk about. Oh God, they're all awful, Wayne. I didn't even talk about the seven hundred million dollars being wiped off United share price because because the Mail on Sunday reported that the Glazers have pulled back from the sales process. Don't know which one of these are worse. Let, let's talk about this very strange story about the ex women's coach being celebrated in the museum this took place like a year ago or something like that but there were a few stories today about it who is this dude and why is everyone up in arms about it it's a bit confusing yeah so he coached the women's team before they were professional right um for, for a little period and that's why he was invited back from all accounts it looks like the club weren't aware of the conviction and obviously they weren't because that's the state statements that they've issued to that effect. The timing of the investigation is, don't get me wrong, things like this should be investigated and they probably are public interest. I just, 
Look, I, I'm going to be completely candid here, Ed. Look, I, I'm a review reader, right? So I know that we've canvassed, you've canvassed on the pod before for like, what what changes would you like to see? And <laughs> I remember seeing one that was like, Wayne thinks that the club is, everything smells of roses and and that we need a little bit more objectivity as far as that's concerned. And I feel like, don't read reviews, Wayne. First that's of all, very, very bad. No, 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 no. Hang but, on. but I know. That, go on. Yeah, go I know. <laughs> I've I've stopped reading my book reviews for that re- for that reason. But but yeah, look, I think that's a fair a fair cop. And it's funny that you mentioned the the, the week the midweek crisis pod because I do think that maybe since since the last one of last season when I just feel like I've been on after every defeat and something mad has happened and. We've gone down rabbit holes with that. The thing is, Ed, and I, we're all the same, but I, we, we all deal with things differently, right? And my escape from the bad stuff that happens with the club is to find a way to love it more in, or in the ways that I know how to love it. Because I love the club so much. I've, like, now people are able to switch off and they go and, and do their 9 to 5. My 9 to 5 has been the club. And not just my nine to five, my twenty four seven has yeah. been the club because I've been working with players and everything like that for for ten years. And I'm not saying that that means it, it, my connections anymore. It's just because I've lived and breathed everything, and I I know people and everything like that. Uh, a lot of former players, and 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 I know a lot of people. You just get to know people who are associated with the club, and so I I do feel like, and it's not so much like a protection against the bad stuff because you can't do that and like when things happen they're bad and we're going to talk about them then those individuals and those occurrences have to be discussed and they have to be dealt with appropriately and we, we've done enough talking about that in the past I, I would hope that people listening to this would know that I'm objective enough with stuff like that but I do feel as a supporter who loves the club sometimes uh, like I want to nurse the club like, I look after it like a sick pet and I think I've used that analogy off air with you before where I feel protective towards it in, in a way that, for example, when the mail, it was a mere culprit because I went after, I didn't go after, but I tweeted, it came up on my timeline that the mail had, had tweeted this story earlier today. Mm. And I and I know it was the Times now, but I'd already sort of, and the point remains about the timing of the story. I felt like I don't like seeing the club being kicked when they're down. And I know that these investigations happen. People go digging for dirt. And that, this is what's happened here. Someone's gone digging for dirt and they found it. They found it. And the club have held their hands up. I think the club have reacted swiftly and in the best way that they could. I think these kind of things, all right, they should have been better prepared for a background check. But I guess you don't background check on every coach because you don't you you have a presumption of innocence with stuff like that. I'm not saying that that makes this any better. It's obviously a quite distressing thing for everyone who's concerned, not mm. least the people who probably invited him. It's very, very unfortunate. I just, I, I hate seeing the club dragged over the coals like this. And yes, all right, they've left themselves open to it by this invitation. And it's in, unfortunate that it's all happening at the same time. But these are these are some of the worst weeks of the club's existence for controversy. And yeah. it's terrible. I, I can't revel in it. A lot of people are reveling in it and they're saying all these people need to be accountable. And fair enough, maybe they do. I don't revel in it in the same way. I see a club that's hurting and I want to protect the club. So if people 
even if, if people listen to this and think that I've been a bit too kind to the club, it's only because I love the club so much. I want people to continue to see the good side because the club stands for a lot of good things and there are so many good people and there are some bad eggs that unfortunately the club is being tarnished with association and this is one of those cases. Mm. I just think uh, the, the timing of it is is horrible and look, it's unfortunate that it happened. I don't think if if we're talking about this in isolation in any other period, Ed, I don't think that this is that big a story. I think it, it looks like a much worse story because of the lineage of, of the stories of recent weeks. It's probably it's probably right that someone an editor has gone. Hey, go and work out if there are any other wife beaters, abusers, rapists in the club, and someone's done some investigating and worked out this happened. That's probably how this story came about. That's how editorial works. The questions it does bring up are about United safeguarding policies. I mean, if a convicted paedophile is invited into the club for a special event, you got to question whether. Are they making sure that the checks are being done when there is a real safeguarding issue when a coach is involved with vulnerable sets of people at the club? You really hope that's the actual story here and that the, well, because a few other, the Mail have run a piece now and so did the Sun and so did the Telegraph. And they're all super concerned that Manchester United is being professional and their governance is right and they're making sure that everyone who's vulnerable within the club is safeguarded against people who've been convicted of, in this case, paedophilia. I hope that's the issue and it's not will generate clicks on the back of some scandalous stories that are happening with the club at the moment related to both Mason Greenwood and Anthony. But that's probably part of the latter as well. I mean, there's a news agenda. It all fits together. Doesn't mean the club have done the right thing here. It's hard to say from the basis of that story. I would not expect if... I won't be, but if I was invited to give a talk at the the club museum... I wouldn't expect them to do a background check on me. It would come up clean, folks. Just be clear about that. <laughs> Not a wrong one here, but I wouldn't expect that. And and so, but if I was coaching, say, the under-12s team, I'd expect a background check. I did some coaching last summer and I was required to give a background check because it was kids. And that's the right and appropriate thing to do. So uh, that's that's the question for me is there's a broader context. Are United careful? And it kind of follows into the Anthony conversation, I think, which is are United doing the right kinds of it? Are their duty of care policies right and processes right? Are they doing the right kind of due diligence on people that are associated with the club? And what should that look like? In the case of Anthony, it allegedly is a pattern of serial abuse and violent behaviour, allegedly. Very hard to say anything other than that at the moment. We think there are a couple of yeah. police investigations ongoing, in both in Brazil and with the Great Manchester Police. Again, all completely and totally denied, but I think at the time of recording, that's three women who've now come forward to say very similar stuff. I suppose there's a world in which they're all making it up. It's very, very rare. It's deeply worrying. And the reason why the story about Jeff Konopka is relevant is, is there a wider pattern here of a club that doesn't have the right policies, due diligence in place to protect both itself and vulnerable people from potential predators? 
That's the wider context, I think. Then again, I, I kind of share some of your initial cynicism as well about why this report came out. So, Yeah, I, I don't, I, I'll give, in terms of the way that you're addressing that, I think as a supporter, I think all those things that you've said are fair. I don't think from an investigation viewpoint that I would be surprised if their intentions with United's safeguarding policies were genuine. I think they're, they're looking to create controversy and kick the club when it's down. And, and, and to be fair, they found a good story to do it, right? Let, let's not hide about that. I think in terms of all the safeguarding stuff, I mean, I don't know. I'll, I'll plead ignorance on this. Someone can prove me wrong. I don't think those kind of checks would have probably gone on in the mid-90s when it was an informal arrangement. Uh, well, no, we know. Accounts. We know it that football it. was really bad at this. I mean, if you look at some of the really famous cases involving Manchester City and Crew, Jeffrey Benol, yeah. I might be getting that name wrong. Football clip. Uh, Barry Benol. Barry Benol. Yeah. Barry Benol. Yeah. Football was clearly not clued up and or it was clued up and it wasn't protecting its people back in the 90s, yeah. for sure. And and I definitely wouldn't start to use that as a stick to beat rival clubs with. I think as an industry, it got some things badly, badly wrong. We may find out this dude has a even worse history. Who knows? Let's wait on that one. But, you know, I definitely share some of your cynicism. There's a not... This this didn't quite feel like the investigative journalism that, say, Adam Crafton did with The Athletic to uncover the thinking the club had around no. Mason Greenwood. That Because he's a United fan, right, Adam? Yeah. He also wants the best for the club. But he's also a journalist and a very good one. And he uncovered something very uncomfortable and forced the club to change as a result. A change that would have always happened, but they thought they could sneak it through in some very, very poor management. We talked about that. This one is slightly different. It's opportunistic. It feels. I, I would yeah. I would bet the editorial meeting went someone somewhere along the lines of what else is going on at this club? <laughs> Let's yeah. find out. So it's uncomfortable. Yeah. The club have it, it seems dealt with it straight away, saying we didn't know. I'm not sure Mayor Culper is the full answer here, but because it it unfortunately does kind of fit a similar pattern right of decision making the next decision they're going to have to make is going to have to be about anthony and the pressure will build and they won't be able to kick this can down the road uh, unfortunately i think some of the management team at united are a little bit naive and they think i think they think they probably can the brazilian football federation were quite proactive on this one it may seem deeply unfair to a player who's denying all allegations in very strong terms to be denied a place with your national side but as a national you're a written not we talked about it before right he's not only a footballer for brazil he's a representative of the country and anthony is not only a footballer for manchester united he's also a representative of our club and so they're going to have to make a decision i think and the pressure is going to build uh, and I, yeah. i'm not entirely confident i'm not in a position to make that decision i'm just a fan and we're just fans uh, but senior people at the club are going to have to decide and there are going to be pressures pulling in two directions, aren't there? All multiple directions. Yeah. Uh, and it's going to be a very difficult decision to make. But I, I kind of suspect there's a certain amount of inevitability about this. Yeah. No, I, I think 
again, we've always got to straddle the line of the fact that he's protected, uh, protested his innocence completely and the fact that, not the fact, the idea that, like I said, the allegations may be not proven to be unfounded. So I don't think that's in. I don't think that's really possible at this point, but it may be discarded or disregarded. It's difficult to see a scenario if there's an element of guilt in there that this doesn't follow the exact same pattern as Greenwood. It's obviously there is some added complication in there in that the player has cost um, close to 90 million euros. I think that is an added complication on top of the fact that Greenwood was a he was an homegrown player. We can't get away from that because it's a massive asset. I'm not saying that that should affect the decision. I'm just saying it's an added complication. It's an added thought. Not in, in my thought. If he if he was guilty, then the decision is uncomplicated. What I do think is that these are a muddy waters for United to be trudging through at the moment. But I do think that once we're out of those waters, not to sound like a politician or to sound like I'm being too favourable towards the club. What I mean is once we're out of this immediate zone of everything there, that I feel like there's going to be a definitive structure. I would hope that there's a definitive structure that... I mean, you can't avoid individuals doing individual things, unfortunately, but that there will be a better protocol in that. You've got to remember that it is, it's easy to judge United, and everyone is, and where you're doing that exactly the same kind of thing. But these are unprecedented times for any top-level football club to have to deal with something like this so soon after dealing with something like Mason Greenwood. So to deal with two incidents like this, I, you and I and most people listening to this know a reasonable, inevitable conclusion to anything that would be accepted as guilty that... We know the decisions that have to be taken, and I think United know that as well. And I think that once once the path is clearer, once we understand it, all the incidents, even even if Anthony, for in in some world, if all of the if there's evidence that proves his innocence and that he's able to just carry on, and and people just say, you know what, he's a bit of a wrong, and it's still casts a doubt on United's no dickheads policy, but he didn't do the things that he's been accused of doing, there'll still be some kind of protocol after this to be more stringent on stuff like that. Yeah, and well, where the club it, it doesn't make fails. it easy enough. Sorry, I keep interrupting you. I can't. I'm really no? I'm sorry. Well, I think where the club has failed is by not having a clear protocol on stuff like this. And, and they, so they're running from crisis to crisis. And they did with Mason Greenwood and trying to manage the the next step of yeah. things. Whereas, like, and 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 all of it with Mason Greenwood has been difficult because they run from one thing to another. So they had the the initial complaint on social media, the Manchester Great Manchester Manchester Police investigation and arrest fairly quickly, and then the suspension, and then the. In- the legal process, then the internal investigative process and the decision-making they were going to make and then the, the U-turn and get him off to Getafe and the subsequent stuff that's happening there, which is kind of also interesting how that club are behaving. And, and none of that was driven 
by a protocol which said, this is how we behave in these situations, which is kind of what you need as a business. Because even the, oh, well, let's get him away on loan somewhere. It's not as clean and as easy as all of that, because now the complainant, the potential alleged victim in that scenario, Mason Greenwood's partner and mother of his child, is now hundreds, maybe thousands of miles. Not sure of the exact distance, hundreds of miles away from her family in an even more vulnerable position now. So was that the best decision for Greenwood, his partner, the club? It's debatable. It's really debatable. And, and in the case of Anthony, no longer with the, uh, the complainant, any of the three complainants, I believe less of a vulnerable position there, but still there's a choice to be made about both. There's, there'll be a legal process, but there's also a HR process, isn't there? And then there's the PR process, and then there's the commercial thinking, and then there's the football thinking. And and all of that is going to be really difficult because United have no protocol for this, and they will run from crisis to crisis and be reactive to everything that's happening rather than like taking real leadership on this one. And by the way, do, most businesses think- behave like that. Like most businesses yeah. are, are not proactive about this kind of thing and and they can get away with it in a sense. Like if three women accused you of, or let's say me, if three women accused me of beating them up, my employer would fire me straight away without any compunction uh, and uh, they would go before the beer, the bang, but I'm not worth $100 million to them, euros to them, pounds to them. And so United will get trapped because they don't have a policy. They'll get trapped in this. Uh Oh, it's a massive asset. What can we do? And Ten Hag will be like, he's one of my best players. I want him on the team. And media pressure and abused women's charities groups and other groups will say, you should suspend this guy while you investigate. It's the only right thing to do. And the club is just going to be pulled in all these directions. And unfortunately, we've got an inexperienced CEO and quite a lightweight board who won't be able to make yeah. difficult decisions quickly. So, I, d- I do think uh, the leadership point is a, a really strong one because I think, and this isn't this isn't pointing the finger at anyone, but I, I'm, I'm rewinding the clock to say a time under when the club was owned by Martin Edwards and Alex Ferguson had been in charge for twenty years and had all the support around him, these decisions would be made swiftly and to shorten the impact on on the club's reputation. So they'd be, that's how swiftly they'd be made, and usually in some kind of termination policy. That's what always happened at United. Now, I, I think... The newness of certain individuals to certain roles, including the manager, in that in that he's, he's trying to build a team, and some of these players he knew before he came to Manchester. Those kind of things are complicated. The other thing is the ownership structure and the debt that's on the club. Because if this was Manchester City, for example, and they had their own high-profile case, they were just they could afford to just allow a player to rot until his contract expired, mm. and then he just moved on. And yeah, all right, the case was dropped, but you know, obviously, the leg, the the career has been tarnished, and he's moved on elsewhere. Not, and it wasn't mm. 
highly uh, regarded as a player after that. He was found not guilty, actually, um, just to be clear. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry, that's what I meant yeah. by that. Yeah. But the, po- the point I'm making is that they could afford to write off that asset in United for, for the reasons that we talked about with the ownership. They can't, but unfortunately, and I, I'm not using that as an excuse, I'm saying that's a complication that's a part of the financial situation at the club. I, I suspect that if we were bankrolled by, well, let's say either of, of the prospective, prospective owners that could be coming in and, and, and bankrolling the club without a need for worrying about where £10 million is going to come from, that the Mason Greenwood problem wouldn't have been a problem for very long. But unfortunately, it was because those kind of decisions, we were scrambling around looking for six or seven million to pay on a, a loan deal for Amrabat. Do you know? And he was yeah. one of the manager's main targets throughout the summer. So we're talking about sums of money that should seem insignificant to a club like Manchester United. But unfortunately, because of the situation that we're in, they're not. No, and I, I'm not like no. saying, all right, let's, let's campaign for better, for certain ownerships, but you know what I'm, where I'm going with that. It's, it's the, I fully understand. It makes it, it all complicated. It's completely, it's completely clouding United's decision-making, the financial situation, and and that it's not an excuse. That it's making their decision-making poorer because the club is walking a financial tightrope. And it's walking a financial tightrope, let's be clear, because of a decade of bad decisions. And they compound on each other all of the time. Every time United buy a player that doesn't work out, they pay a fee that's too much, they pay the wages that are too much, and then they can't get them off the books, so they have to take a low fee in order to to reset. And it's happened over and over and over again, and I think it's happening still. You can argue that point. I mean, history will, will show whether that's true or not in a few years' time. But it's definitely it's definitely clouding United's decision making. And you're right. If there was no FFP and we had a unlimited pockets, Greenwood would have been fired or just suspended without pay. I mean, what Manchester City did with Benjamin Mendy, they suspended him without pay and have never paid him and have, it seems, no intention of paying him, even though he was found not guilty, because clearly they believe that there's more to this than just the legal aspects which yeah. it always was with Mason Greenwood as well and there will be with Anthony and and we're very early into well although although the thing with Anthony was first reported a few months back we really only got a load of details didn't we in this newspaper report a couple of days yeah. ago gruesome details by the way so just none of it it's not a pleasant read I mean I translated the original Payward article and just brutal. I mean, there's nothing more. Yeah, yeah. But I, I want to really add on that because it's it's one of those cases that, just to reiterate the earlier point, if it wasn't clear enough that if there is any guilt in there, then we should absolutely do the same thing and probably take an order line than what we did with Mason, considering the fact that we've got history of having to deal with it. Do you know what I mean? And we've got to seem to be yeah, yeah. authoritative with it. Well, got to learn as well from what has happened. Should we talk about just a good old-fashioned football crisis? So, yeah, please. <laughs> talked about it briefly with Dan at the weekend, but I didn't didn't really get into it because we didn't have all the context really. But so, mate, so Jaden Sancho wasn't included in the squad. They went to Arsenal and lost because of bloody cheating referees. 
just thought I'd add that. Mm. <laughs> no, wasn't included. Ten Hag was asked about it. His answer was about 10 seconds long. It was, it felt kind of throwaway. I don't know what you thought about that. I thought, I didn't think that it was some kind of scheming. If it was Fergie, he might have had a, like some kind of agenda behind it. But with, he, he was asked, and we've seen with many press conferences, Ten Hag, he just gives these straight back answers all the time. And he said, yeah, he's not training yeah. hard enough. So we didn't include him in the squad. And, and they might have been left at that. And then Jaden posted this thing on Twitter and has left it up, by the way. It's still, as of our time of speaking, his pinned tweet. And mm. it was a straight, it was partly a straight response. I've been training hard all week. And then this cryptic bit that said, and I don't think this is the real reason there's other things behind this. I've been made a scapegoat mm. before I am now. And there's quite a bit to unpack there, isn't there? Do we believe him? That he believes this. Probably, right? Is it true? Yeah. I've no, no I've no idea. Is there something else going on? I can't work it out. It seems unlikely. Yeah. The first thing to say, everyone's going to have their opinion on this because this has been a highly publicised relationship with United and Sancho over the past year yeah. in terms of his struggles. Yeah. The struggles, presumably, still, with mental health. We don't know. We, everyone's presuming that that's the case. Don't know the details, of, yeah. But yeah. the break that he had. So what I will say is, and I've suffered, I'm sure many, well, for certain many people who listen to this have, have suffered with mental health problems. Mm -hmm. They manifest and present themselves in any number of ways and sometimes your perception of reality is clouded by events that have got nothing to do with the events that are actually happening. I'm not defending the club. I'm not defending Jaden on that. I'm just presenting a situation where yeah, perhaps yeah. What, what we think he's alluding to and what he thinks he's alluding to Maybe different could things. be yeah. completely different to what Tenog and it, you're quite right. And I do think that when I first heard the Tenog thing, and I heard this after the Sancho point, because I thought, well, this must be pretty bad, what Tenog said. And I just thought, like you said, it's a throwaway line. The, the other thing is that, I, and I'm not giving him an excuse with this, but I still think that when you've got a non-native English speaker, particularly Dutch people, they can be very blunt and to the point very quickly. With Van Gaal, it was kind of like an albatross because he knew the value of what he was saying. He was experienced enough to know the value but I don't think Tenog is experienced enough to know the value of those throwaway lines. Yeah, he should he should have some kind of idea of his relationship with Jaden to know the reaction that that was likely to get. I mean, I thought he was fairly lie. I didn't think there was anything bad to it. Are, are you quite right? Do you know what the first thing you said is that it was hardly Fergie esque. And I've posted on social, so I'm all right to talk about this. Recently, I talked talk to you about this before, and I'm, I'm going on a bit of a diversion, but it's an entertaining story nonetheless. For me, it's fairly entertaining. So Fergie's like cloak and dagger press conferences are great. And I had the, so I was passed, the, what I'm relating to, I was passed down an archive of Tom Tyrrell's, a very big archive of all these old interviews. Right. And he attended like every press presser from 86 to 2010. So I've been going through all of these and sort of digitizing them and listening to, and then I'm through, I'm in the 2000s and I'm listening to random ones and 
I picked up one at, at random, which was before Chelsea 2005. And this was in between the time of Roy Keane's Middlesbrough outburst and before the time that he was axed. So there was a period of time in yeah. there because everyone, I don't know if you can remember the time, but when he was axed, it was kind of like, oh my God, that's a bombshell. And, and it was a, re- a reaction to the Middlesbrough thing. But I, I, my brain has played a, a few tricks on me over the years. I, I've just associated them with being so close together that as soon as they found out he was axed, it was actually a two or three week period in right. between. And in that period in between, we played Lille in the Champions League yes. and lost. Yes. And we played, and we played che- Chelsea at home in the Champions, in the league and we won one nil and Darren Fletcher scored. And just before that game, Fergie's doing his press conference. I listened, I listened to it earlier. It's funny that we talk about this now. And in the press conference, he's alluding to criticism constantly, criticism from outside of the club and how he won't stand for it and how we've got to stand up at the club and we can't allow criticism to derail us. And we've got a, we've got a duty and responsibility to the players, the young players within this club that we've all got to stand up and, and put arms around each other. And at the time, it, it sounded like, and this is however I know because I've talked to a couple of journalists about this today, it sounded like he's having to go with the journalists for what they've been saying after the Middlesbrough and Lille games. But now, listening back to it, you Different can context. tell that it's a dig at yeah. Keane. He, he's having a dig at Keane. And what I mean, it's so good that Fergie was able to do that. And obviously, we're going... I'm just using that as a comparison yeah. for this. In that Tenog, there's no... I don't think there's any hidden Agenda. meaning in no, what he's no, trying no. to I don't th- That's, There's nothing there. Exactly he's just it. saying the exact blunt thing that he wants to say. And, and in terms of Jaden's response to that, it's unfortunate because I just think it's completely unprofessional in any event, regardless of the problems that he's got. And yes. I don't know if that's to do with advice, if it's to do with the issues that he's got. It's just a really, really unprofessional reaction and it's catastrophic in terms of what that could do for his career. And I'm good because I like him. I, you know, yeah. I really like him. I think, I, all right, he's struggled at United, but I've, I've been behind him. I want him to do well. I, the other day when we were, they were in the talk before the games and he, I think just after the game, before I, I was aware of Jaden's comments, I was like, I wish we'd had started him at false in the false nine role because at least he played there in a, a few games in pre-season, and I'd rather see him played there rather than Martial, considering the, the way that he's played in the game so far. So I understood his aggrievement in wanting to play, but he's not just throwing the manager under the bus. He's throwing everyone under the bus. He's, he's saying that I deserve to be playing, and you don't do that. No. No one does that at any football club, do they? So, And and the, the weird thing is, I mean, the reason why it's odd he's still got his pinned tweet is the reaction of most players in a situation like this would be to back down because it's not a nuclear arms race. There's only one winner here and it's not going to be Jaden Sancho because the other because any other outcome other than the manager wins and Jaden Sancho backs down and they clear the air. Any other outcome is to undermine the manager, and that would be the club saying, "Hey, we don't believe in the manager anymore." So, and I'm sure we talked about decision making at the club. I'm quite sure they won't do that, however much Jadon Sancho was Ooh. worth, which is a hell of a lot less than what he was paid for. Now, given this, and look, I'm deeply sympathetic to the the human element here. That Jadon may well have been struggling with mental health issues in the past. 
we're all humans. Even these hundred million pound footballers are humans, and they and we mm. should definitely understand that context. That said, we really don't know much detail about exactly why Jaden Sancho had three months off and what his personal situation is. It's for him to choose when to reveal all of that or not, right? It's his personal yeah. decision. Just like it was also his personal decision to pick a fight with a manager in a public sphere. Could have been behind closed yeah. doors. He could have had a Barney with Ten Hag in the dressing room. Like like a thousand players before him have done. Why aren't you yeah. picking me? You're and picking on me sort of thing. I mean, like hundreds of them. Like yeah. every single training. He's definitely, yeah. definitely a fight he won't win. Definitely one he won't be back with because we, Ten Hag... He doesn't need to win any more battles. He saw Ronaldo. Do you know what I mean? That's the biggest. It's like I don't know scoring. Is it scoring Lion King? He's already so off. Like Mufasa, do you know? Don't need to. <laughs> like unless Sancho sees himself as Simba, I don't know. Scars are really bad. Can we just delete that from the? Don't <laughs> don't put that in. Whatever you do, I know you're going to leave it in. That's fine. What I mean is, he Tenov doesn't need any more emboldening in the. In the dressing room, he's already got the power. He dictates who comes and goes. Who dictates who plays and who doesn't. I mean, that that much is is there to see. There's no. He dropped the captain. He dropped the biggest name in the world. So there's there's no problem with that. And it, and it's ill advised for Jaden if he if he wants a career at United. Some would suspect that this is part of not wanting a career at United. Although you would have done it earlier on that. Yeah. That the one thing I, I would take account with. Or Umbridge with slight Umbridge, and and this is a, a fair point to make at the time when we can. This is a, a podcast that's going to be fairly critical of some of the decisions or some of the events at the club. Is that in in Jaden's case, they can't. Nobody can say that the club haven't tried to protect him and support him. I think that much is pretty evident that they have. So. For him to come out and say that he's been scapegoated, I mean, United of all clubs to scapegoat a player. I mean, they, I mean, I, I can't remember. There probably are one or two instances where someone might say, oh, well, that's fair, a fair cop in saying that. But I, I can't, United, like I'm saying earlier with, with Fergie, with the press conference, the, the usual response is to rally around the players. And nobody, nobody batted an eyelid when he was off for eight to 12 weeks. Yeah, without you know, United just he just wasn't mentioned. He'll be back in training when he's back in training, yeah. and then he was back in training, and he was back in the squad, and nothing was held against him. He was treated the same as everyone else, and he was given fair chances. I he was given a fair run in in preseason. Yeah, all right, I would have liked to have seen him play at false nine, but <laughs> we're not talking about compelling options there. We're talking about the best of a bad bunch, and I can't if the manager wanted to play Martial. I'm not going to really argue with that because yeah. it was, there's not a really compelling argument either way. So There was an interesting article that came out. With, I mean, because it feels like there are different camps of briefing here, which is like always really unfortunate. Like, stop doing this through the media, folks. Like, have Two grown-ups, have a conversation about your difficult relationship and resolve it. I mean, just, hey, should get Paul back on the podcast to talk about the psychology of all this. He's a counsellor. What do I know? What do I know? Grown-up conversation. That's that's my advice to you guys. But <laughs> there was a story that came out that said something along the lines, and I'm paraphrasing, Jaden Sancho feels like Anthony has been given more opportunities in the team 
and he feels like he hasn't given, been given a fair crack. Something like that, paraphrasing. Right. So it could well be that the scapegoating is Ten Hag so criticizing Sancho for, I don't know, not tracking back and following his man like, like Anthony does. I, or maybe something happened in one of the games and Ten Hag pointed at him because in the blunt style, I suspect very much that he is quite apt to go, you did this wrong, which happens in all elite sport, right? The players do it themselves. The players do it. Yeah. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of bold characters there that will do that. It could be that Jaden is too online and listening to the criticism on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. I I'm not sure about that one. But it could be. It could be our fault. Uh, our, I mean, the, 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 the community are, but... of fans criticizing him. Are we the ones yeah. scapegoating him? So it was very oblique. No, but, but, but on that point, Ed, you know, it's funny you say that because obviously social media is an echo chamber and and by that obviously the obvious interpretation of that is that you generally get something in response you can anticipate what you're going to get in response to what you put out now we as supporters will have our opinion i think it's quite diverse there'll be a lot of people who really support him and there'll be a lot of people who think he's not played well i would say i would say probably 80 percent you have 20 percent of people who hero worship and still want him to come good and they won't like i refuse to see gigs as bad performances for a long time like when when he was really under pressure but no he's still playing well give him the ball even when he was having a stinker and there'll be a lot of people like that with sancho he doesn't have the same amount of credit in the bank to be fair that's right no 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 no, but what what I mean is what I mean is like I don't know how many followers he's got on social media. Let's couple say million. for the sake of argument, a couple of million. Mm-hmm. So when he puts out, oh, I'm I'm not being treated right. What do you reckon? This confirmation bias is coming back from the majority of response. The majority of responses are not saying to Jaden, "You've got to pull up your socks and play well." He probably there's a, a big number of that, but the most amount of people replying to him are probably saying. Yeah, you needed to play and ten hogs out of his mind. That that's probably what would have happened because they want a response from Jaden Sancho, so they'll be giving him the things that he wants to hear in that moment, and that's what the players want to listen to. And their representatives, if he doesn't check himself, maybe a representative is saying to him, "Oh, yeah, like Johnny Red Devil has said, you're the best player that the club has had since Cantona, and he shouldn't be dropped ever again stuff like that and and they'll be told things that they want to hear and or they'll read the things that they want to hear because that's the thing that's going to make them better yeah well no that's that's all true and and i I think i described that as being too online and i think there is a case for many of us are terminally online and that causes problems in our lives business social circles framing of the world political understanding all of it all of it yeah i understand why People want to get off this fucking hellhole that is social media sometimes, you know. <laughs> I still go back yeah. because it's it's been coded to trigger my dopamine. <laughs> so that's, yeah, absolutely. I it, it's he, he chose to post it on Twitter as his response, which is why I mentioned yeah. it, it may well be a problem with being too much on social media. That's the platform of choice. The platform of choice wasn't in the dressing room. Hey, boss, I think it's unfair that you called this out. Or a statement from his PR representative saying, 
Jaden felt that was unfair, which would have caused as much storm, but would have been more neutral. He put it out in his own words, and and I think that really has amplified some of this debate. Anyway, God, no good's going to come of it. I tell you that, no good at all. Well, just no. just before we did come on here, Sky Sports were reporting it was kind of like a throwaway thing. They were trying to say it was just like a Jaden Sancho update kind of thing, and it was mostly nonsense, apart from the the last bit, which said that there there'll be talks this week with both parties looking to find a way forward. And really, I don't think, you know, he's going to play some football because there's going to be a, a space in the team for him to get a chance, yeah. you would imagine. It's in their all their interest while. to try and clear this up because it's four months until the next transfer window and that's the earliest he could get out if that's what he really wants. So before we go, quick, there's a story in one of the papers, I forget which one that Mary Earps may be leaving because United have not agreed a new contract with her. This is the world's best goalkeeper. And I'd say this is a one-off, but it's not a one-off, is it, with the Manchester United women's team? There's very much a pattern of bringing players in, letting them succeed, and then not agreeing contracts. And clearly the value that United put on women's players and their contracts does not match the value of the market. I think that's really clear now. Yeah. And that'd be a real shame if that happens. And they'll bring another goalkeeper in. There's some talk of bringing the Australian goalkeeper from West Ham. And uh, fine. But the thing that's behind it is uh, United's budget for the women's team, basically. Which is about £5 million yeah. pounds a year. So, And after losing Alessia, I mean, the countries at the time, I, I don't know if this is the case now, but certainly at that time, She's been the country's most marketable player for about 18 months and you would have thrown everything in that budget. You would have thought to, to keep her. So that that much was a shame. But Mary Herbs, she's not that far behind in terms yeah. of popularity. I mean, yeah, every, yeah. Especially the, uh, first of all, playing well and, and doing so well in the World Cup, but also the fact that there, there has been a media controversy around her in terms of the shirt and that's put her as a very vocal and focal figure, which is a good thing, a really good thing. And she's beloved yeah. by the, the support. She's one of the most loved players. Well, she's very relatable and it's, authentic as well, as well as being marketable yeah. and a very good player. So. And it's a shame, especially in Russo's case, but again, I say especially in both of their cases, really, but Russo, because she was part of that generation of young girls who wanted to play for Manchester United. And when that opportunity came up and, and it was there, they, it didn't seem like she was being unreasonable. Do you know what I mean? The, the club, if they'd have really wanted to show that they wanted to keep her, I don't think it would have been that hard to keep her. And I, yeah. I don't know the case with Mary. Maybe, maybe it may be a case that, there is an offer and she wants, after doing so well, that she wants to move on. And that might be the case with Alessia, Alessia as well. But I still feel like there, there's something, if the club have pushed the envelope a little bit, and which they're not able to do for, for various reasons. And obviously, that's another thing. It's the same for the men's team as well, that they've got to a certain point. They've done so well, the women's team, considering where they, they've come from, considering the opposition that they're up against how far they've come and yes alright they've got the name and they've got the, the brand and they've got the support but they've still had to do it on the pitch and those 
the, the ladies and the women there and all the coaching staff deserve so much credit for what they've done. Yeah. And to now see Undermine that. Undermine it, yeah. Or, or, or just stall in, in this way when they need to be kicking on, when they've got an opportunity to kick on and not just stall but lose so much of what was good. It is it's massively disappointing. It obviously means that the we don't know what's going to happen at the time of, of recording this, but, you know, if she leaves and they'd have left in that position, in much the same way as it was with Russo, they're going to have to find different dynamics and just a different kind of future, and that is disappointing. But yeah, you, what you want, what you want really, is a team creating an identity and an affinity with the fans, and we were getting there. We, we, in fact, we were there. We were there. Yeah, yeah, to very be, much. Sort of moving yeah. backwards from that is it, it's, it's it's really sad to see that. Well, I, I mean, I hope they find a way of getting a, her a new contract. And I mean, the thing is. In in women's football, I, I would even less than in the men's football, I would put any blame on the women for finding if there's a big offer on the table, go for it because they tend to get very short contracts. They're not nearly as wealthy or lucrative as the yeah. men's contracts. The average wage in the WSL is something like thirty thousand pounds a year, right? It's like most of the most of the women players in WSL are on the breadline. Now, Mary Alps will have yeah. a good contract with United. If she moves, she'll have a much better contract, presumably, and she'll have good marketing sponsorship. But I don't blame them for cashing in. I mean, yeah. And and the club just, in, in the case of Russo, they were just slow. They came to the same offer in the end, but right at the end of the process. Yeah. And and it could have been up front. And, uh, and Bache was different because she wanted to go home. But Lauren James is another one, didn't sort the contract out early enough. And maybe it's understandable she wanted to go to Chelsea, but you know, you put an offer on the table that is undeniable and then then fight it out, didn't do that. So there's there's something not quite right there. It's uh, they are playing with a much, much smaller budget. But but that's their choice because there's no real block on kind of cross sponsoring. United could effectively double the budget just by assigning some proportion of the quote-unquote men's team's budget to the women's team or doing co-sponsorship and stuff like that. So it's a choice to underfund that team if that's what they're doing. So. Anyway, that's it. Very long discussion of all the various crises. We've still got the international break for another week and a half or something like that. So, you know, we'll be back again with whatever tomorrow's crisis is. Just one normal day of United. Please, please, United. Ha, ha, ha.